This is The Lottery on Blue Wire Podcast. I'm John Wasserman, lead NBA draft writer for Bleacher Report. What a time. What a time to be alive. What a time for the NBA. I mean, free agency is nuts. I mean, do you even remember what free agency was like before Twitter? Because I don't. It's amazing how Twitter has the ability to enhance free agency. I feel like Twitter was built just for free agency. It's crazy what it's done to the way we consume news, uh, to the way it's delivered in, in real time. And man, free agency has been crazy since it started on June 30th at 6 p.m. I mean, the league looks completely different than it did when the Raptors won a championship, which feels like ages ago. I mean, D'Angelo Russell is on the Warriors now? How the hell did that happen? We knew about AD to the Lakers. The Brooklyn Nets have stolen headlines over the past couple days, adding KD and Kyrie. And let me first start by saying, I know this is a draft podcast, a lot of scouting talk, but how could I not address NBA free agency? I mean, it would be weird to talk about anything else at this moment. Uh, We will get into Summer League later on in the episode, but we got to start with free agency, with the Brooklyn Nets, adding KD, adding Kyrie, adding DeAndre Jordan to four years, $40 million. Listen, I'm not in the camp that thinks the Brooklyn Nets are major, major obvious winners. Now, they did what they had to do and what their goal was to do. So props to Brooklyn for going out and suddenly having multiple all-stars on their team after the rebuild that they had to endure. But I'm curious how this is going to work. I don't think it's you know, so easy to just picture them, okay, skyrocketing up the East and being in the Eastern Conference Finals for years to come. First off, okay, so you lose Russell and you replace him with Kyrie. How many more wins do they get next year? First off, the team has to adjust to a new ball-dominant player at the point. I don't think that's going to be so seamless. I mean, of course, Kyrie, he's damn good. I'm not sure how much further they go this year than they did last year. Clearly, the goal is... Long is big picture. We're thinking when KD comes back. So let's you know fast forward a year after maybe Brooklyn gets knocked out in the first or second round next year. We fast forward to when KD can play. And listen, I talked to a lot of sports medicine people, being a New Yorker, questioning you know is it worth to offer KD the max contract? There were some sports medicine people who said they wouldn't recommend it. Now, of course, to the right team, the potential reward is worth the risk, and it probably is for the Brooklyn Nets. There's obviously no sure thing he comes back the same player. In fact, in all likelihood, he won't come back the same player. But now I think the question is, how long does it take to him to get back to 90% KD? I mean, so he's going to sit out all next year. So the Brooklyn Nets are really looking at that 2020-2021 season. And who knows how long it's going to take Durant during that season to get acclimated, to get his, his legs underneath him, to get his confidence back up. It may take till his second season playing full-time to really take off. And that's his third year in his contract. It'll be 33. And Kyrie will be in his third year as a Brooklyn Net. And who knows what else the roster is going to look like. And uh, there's just a lot of moving parts to this thing. Plus DeAndre Jordan, four years, 40 million. Jared Allen's a better player than him right now and is only going to get better while Jordan's only going to get worse over the next couple of years. So that's an annoying contract to have in the books, I think. I know that you do it to appease KD and Kyrie. But Jared Allen's got to be the priority. I think he's going to be the better player next year and clearly over the next few as he develops. So anyway, props to Brooklyn for putting together this roster, but let's not get ahead of ourselves and just assume that we can pencil them into the Eastern Conference Finals for years to come. I think they got a lot. They need a lot to go right for, for the Brooklyn Nets to maximize the potential on this roster. Now naturally, let's transition to the New York Knicks, who, who didn't achieve what they went out to achieve. 
and they wound up with Julius Randle as their big prize. Now, I like Randle. Clearly not as much as Kyrie and KD. And as long as that third year on this contract is a team option, I actually think this is a pretty good play by the Knicks. Randle, most importantly to me, he's going to help take pressure off R.J. Barrett and Kevin Knox because it would have been it would have been a disaster if the Knicks went into the season with Knox and Barrett as like the top two options. I mean, that would have been a recipe for 40% field goal percentages, bad habits forming, negative uh, locker room feel because they were going to lose a ton of games. Now they have a guy they can go to for 20 points every single night. And not only that, he's tough as nails. So I like Randall. His fit with this particular roster, eh, yeah, a lot of question marks. Not much of a defender. Improved shooter, but still doesn't create much space as a spot-up guy. And I think next to Mitchell Robinson, you're going to need that. But in a vacuum, I like Julius Randle. And I think he's going to help take pressure off the young players uh, and give them, again, a lead score to lean on early on. Then there's the question of, was it worth going out and paying guys like Taj Gibson and Bobby Portis? Those two guys, I'd probably say it wasn't. I, ho- I get the whole experienced veterans and leadership and building the right culture. But, eh, I think it's a little bit overrated when we're talking about Bobby Portis and Taj Gibson. I do like the Reggie Bullock signing and the Wayne Elliting signing. They need shooters. They need guys to create more space for Knox and Barrett. And I'm going to keep using them because those are the two big priorities for the Knicks, right? They need those two guys to blow up, along with Mitchell Robinson, who I think is really on the right track. I'm a little bit more worried about Barrett and Knox. So they're going to need floor spacers um, and reliable shooters like Bullock and like Ellington. So I like those two signings. And quite frankly, even though they need Dennis Smith to blow up as well, I like the Alfred Payton signing. I think the big knock on Smith is that he doesn't know how to make guys around him better. I mean, sure, he has the potential to drop 30 on any given night, give you those highlight real dunks. But is Barrett Knox really going to benefit from playing with Dennis Smith Jr. dominating the ball? I think they're going to be better off early with Alfred Payton, who averages seven assists, who knows how to run an offense. I know he's not a big-time scorer, but having Payton run the show, I, I, th- I think the younger guys are going to benefit a little bit more than having Dennis Smith. And, and honestly, for Dennis Smith, it creates more incentive to, to take that next step. I mean, it would be a really, really bad look if by the end of the season, Dennis Smith can't win the starting position over Alfred Payton. It's going to reflect negatively on his potential value and ceiling. They're both going to drop significantly. So this should be motivation for Dennis Smith Jr. In the meantime, Peyton gives some of these Knicks young guys a setup guy, somebody to have you know reasonable control of how the offense runs. In general, obviously this was a disappointing couple days for the Knicks, but at least they didn't set themselves back five years. ESPN's Bobby Marks reported that four of the major guys they signed will have player options on their second year. So this is really just going to be another crapshoot type year to develop the young guys, hopefully build some credibility with some more wins than just 17 so that they eventually do look more attractive to free agents. But at least they didn't uh, kill their flexibility moving forward. And honestly, this group of guys, though completely random, they could win some games. There's a lot of good players in the vacuum. It'll be interesting to see how they all come together. Another Eastern Conference team, the Boston Celtics, lose Kyrie Irving, replace him with Kemba Walker, lose Al Horford, replace him with Ennis Cantor. I actually don't think it's a big downgrade to go from Kyrie to Kemba. I was looking the other day, you know, who was Kemba Walker's best teammate since being drafted in 2011? I actually asked on Twitter, and the responses were either 2014 Al Jefferson or Nicholas Batum. 
I mean, between his teammates in Charlotte and the culture there, I mean, he never had a chance. I think Kemba is vastly underrated. And I think you put him in the Brad Stevens lineup with good teammates, good coaching, the right culture. I think Kemba is going to be one of those shady MVP candidates who's not going to win. But he's going to be at least mentioned in the conversation next year. I think we're going to see a terrific Kemba Walker next season, having his best year as a pro and keeping the Boston Celtics relatively on the same par as they were with Kyrie. Now, the Horford loss is tough. Cantor's not going to be able to replace that. So it'll be interesting to see how they rebound from that departure. And I think a lot is going to hang on Gordon Hayward, whether he could you know, become the player he was before that leg injury. So a lot's going to be riding on Hayward. But, man, I think Kemba Walker is very close to Kyrie. And I, I love his mindset and uh, his killer instinct and his, his positive vibes that he gives off, whereas Kyrie is a little bit negative here and there. So, uh, again, I don't think that's a major downgrade, but the Horford loss is tough, and, and they're going to have to find a way to compensate and make up for it, and I think that's going to uh, rest in the hands of Gordon Hayward. I will say I'm a big Grant Williams fan, who they took number 22 overall. So that's another thing to watch, to see how much uh, Brad Stevens is willing to play some of the young guys, Grant Williams, uh, Robert Williams. I almost forgot about Robert Williams. We'll see if he becomes part of the rotation this year. Big-time athlete, shot blocker, finisher. We'll see if Carson Edwards gives him some uh, microwave scoring off the bench. Romeo Langford, their lottery pick. You know, We'll see what happens with him. He's got to fix his jump shot. He might be actually behind the two other guys that Boston drafted. But, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't expect the Celtics to suddenly bottom out because they lost Kyrie and Horford. Moving to Golden State, because why not? They suddenly have D'Angelo Russell to pair with Steph Curry in the backcourt. I've seen a lot of negative reaction about their fit. I actually like their fit offensively. I think they're both fairly interchangeable between the one and two. Shoot off the catch, shoot off the dribble, both good passers. I think the big problem or the big question is defensively, are they going to be able to stop any dribble penetration? And there are already rumors out there that uh, they're going to look to trade Russell you know, once this thing gets going, once um, Clay is ready to come back after next year. But offensively, I think they're going to be pretty fun to watch. I think they're going to put a lot of pressure on opposing teams, two versatile offensive players and clearly uh, skilled players, maybe the most skilled backcourt in the league. I'm actually curious to see how Steph and D'Angelo Russell get along. I'm not really sure what their relationship is off the floor. Um, so that's another thing to watch. How about Jimmy Butler go to Miami? I mean, so much for caring about winning. Not that that's a big deal. I, I think sometimes as fans, we get carried away saying, ah, that guy, he doesn't care about winning. He just wants to, he just wants the money, wants the big bucks, he wants the spotlight. But what happens if he just loves Miami? I mean, I want, if I wanted to live in Miami and Miami offered me max dollars to live there, to go play for them, I mean, you're going to criticize me? It's not always about wins and losses. There is a human element to this. I just don't think that Miami's going to win many games. I mean, I wouldn't say many games, but they're not going to be true threats in the East unless they're able to make a deal for Bradley Beal, which is pretty tough to envision. Miami also trades Hassan Whiteside, uh, which I was fine with. I actually think that that's good. That gives Bam Adebayo full-time starter minutes. I'd love to see what he's able to do in a full-time role. Also curious to see how Tyler Hero develops and what his role is going to be next to Butler 
and Bam. I think they're going to need Tyler Hero shooting. Ergie came out firing in his first summer league game with five triples. Super confident player. I think he's going to have the green light in Miami just based on that roster. So uh, Hero's a guy to watch in Miami along with Bam, Jimmy Butler. They're going to be fun to watch. I just don't expect them to be you know, a really threatening team in the East who's become pretty tough at the top with Milwaukee, with Philly, with Boston, with Toronto. By the way, let's go back to Philly. They lose Butler. They lose J.J. Redick. They re-up with Tobias Harris. He gives them a spot-up guy uh, off Embiid and Simmons who dominate the ball, uh, but also a guy who can go get his own bucket in the half court. Listen, Harris' value is tough to pin down. I know he, your value is what someone's willing to give you, but there are some who think he's way overpaid and some think that he's you know properly compensated. Uh, I, I don't know if he's a max guy. I guess to the right team, he is a max guy. He's been in the league for a while now. He's still young. But it would be nice to really see him this year establish himself as a guy who can be a go-to guy uh, for a good team late in games, somebody the 76ers can rely on for half-court offense You know, in the fourth quarter. Obviously, the key acquisition for Philly was Al Horford shockingly going to Philly to play the four next to Embiid. I mean, they have a big front court. Harris, Horford, Embiid, plus a 6'10 point guard with Simmons. This is a big team, which I, yeah, I don't think is a big deal. I, we always talk about oh, the league's going small. Well, if you have really good big players, then you might as well play the really good big players. I don't, so I don't think that's a big deal, particularly since um, Horford can really slide his feet defensively, and he brings that defensive IQ that can maybe compensate if he, if he doesn't have that quickness to defend some of the hybrid fours. Regardless, Philly's lineup is stacked with young talent, with veteran talent, with scorers, with passers. They'll probably have the best defense in the East with Simmons and Bede and Horford and Zaire Smith coming off the bench and Matisse Thibel. It'd be interesting to see Thibel, the number 20 pick in the draft, was the only college player to ever average three steals, two blocks, and a three. They got a lot of defensive pieces. Oh, I'm completely forgetting Josh Richardson, who is going to pretty much play that Jimmy Butler role. Richardson is almost like a poor man's Jimmy Butler, only he's not poor. He's a pretty good player. This is a loaded team from top to bottom, defense, offense. I'd expect to see the 76ers in the Eastern Conference Finals, if not representing the East in the Finals. I really like this team in terms of the talent and in terms of the makeup that's going on. The Indiana Pacers add Malcolm Brogdon. I did not see that one coming either. They had Jeremy Lamb, they had TJ Warren. They draft Goga Badazi, who is number six on my board. They got him at 17, or 18, I believe. We'll see what Victor Oladipo looks like. He's clearly the key to this team's success. Can he return to the, to the all-star he was prior to the injury? But I think the Pacers did a really good job of creating support for him in a more balanced lineup. It looks like they're going to lose Bogdanovich, but TJ Warren can go get buckets. Brogdon is, is a terrific, uh, reliable presence in the backcourt at both ends. Uh, excellent defender, good decision maker, tremendous shooter. So I'm a big fan of Brogdon. Jeremy Lamb, I'm not as high on as some others, although they got him for a pretty good deal. Uh, gives him a shot maker. It's just another guy to put the ball in the bucket. And we'll see what happens with Goga. I know Miles Turner is going to have uh, the starting center position, but Goga coming off the bench gives him a different look uh, with his scoring attack inside and out. 
245 pounds, shoots threes, great hands around the basket, blocks shots. Even without a little depot, they were a pretty good team last year. And now they have even more support around them. So uh, I like what the Pacers did this offseason, although Bogdanovich will be a tough loss. He goes to the Utah Jazz, who also have a pretty stacked lineup now with Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell in the backcourt. Love that mix of defensive toughness and offensive firepower from the 1-2 spot. Bogdanovich, another big-time scorer who's a pretty good defender as well at the forward spot with Rudy Gobert anchoring arguably the best defense in the West. Gotta love what Utah did. They're going to be fun to watch. They're going to be tough. Just another good team. So many good teams. Don't forget the Jazz also adding Ed Davis to back up Rudy Gobert. Ed Davis, one of the more undervalued players in the league. So uh, the Jazz are going to be fun to watch. Portland, I mean, they're going to be back. Lillard signing that $258 million deal with C.J. McCollum. They trade for Kent Bazemore. They lose Mo Harkless, who I think is a good player, good defender. But they get back Rodney Hood, another 3-and-D guy. And then they add Hassan Whiteside with uh, Yusuf Nurkic recovering from an injury. Whiteside has the potential to shut down the paint defensively. Some issues about you know floor spacing offensively as an interior-oriented paint presence. But with one year left on his contract, plus Zach Collins there, plus Nurkic, I think, again, the potential reward is worth the risk here for Portland. So they're going to be back in that Western Conference playoff picture. I think I'm going to have to put the New Orleans Pelicans atop the league pass watchability rankings. Lonzo Ball, Drew Holiday in the backcourt, one of the best defensive backcourts in the West. Ingram on the wing. We'll see if he can finally you know, blow up. I know he's been pretty good, but he hasn't really justified number two overall type value. Zion at the four, who's now going to be paired with Derek Favors. Jackson Hayes at the five. And then the big acquisition for the Pelicans, adding J.J. Redick, who I guess is going to come off the bench behind Holiday, behind Lonzo, but who cares? He's going to provide a big spark for that second unit, an important key shot maker for the entire rotation, and clearly just another positive veteran locker room presence to have to mentor some of the young guys in this lineup. I thought the Chicago Bulls did a nice job of adding a couple key pieces uh, to make them competitive. Sadoransky is a pretty solid role-playing guard. Ball mover, shooter, high IQ guy. Good player to have uh, ahead of Kobe White, who I think is probably better suited this first year coming off the bench as a spark plug, microwave, change of pace type guard. Um, And then they add Thaddeus Young, just a good veteran uh, for that second unit behind Markkinen and Wendell Carter, assuming he's healthy and not a porter. So I think they improved their bench. They improved their overall IQ, which is important when the offense runs heavily through Zach Levine. So I expect Chicago to be a much better team this year. I mean, the move I hate most was Charlotte Hornets. Obviously, they should have traded Kemba Walker at the deadline last year. That's easy to say now. But 59 mil for Terry Rozier. I mean, I, I just don't know what they're seeing. I don't know what they see in Rozier. I don't see him as a quality starting point guard, particularly for a team that doesn't have any talent around him. He may put up some big numbers this year, but he probably won't be very efficient. Hornets are in a bad spot. No cap room, no star players. Their best young talent, Miles Bridges. Malik Monk really needs a big year. This could be a make-or-break season for Monk. 
Charlotte just doesn't have much going for them at this point. I think they're going to be right there in the mix for worst record in the league. And man, they are going to need that number one overall pick. Now, in the meantime, let's talk about sleep. Listen to these studies from Harvard and Johns Hopkins. Chronic sleep deprivation has been shown to lead to depression, diabetes, obesity, and cardiovascular disease. We need eight hours of sleep. It's amazing how much my productivity level increases the next day when I get those eight hours. One of sleep's biggest problems, temperature. Tough to get good sleep if you're too hot or cold. I want to tell you about the Pod by 8 Sleep. The Pod by 8 Sleep is a high-tech bed designed specifically to help you achieve optimal sleep fitness. It was developed by leading sleep researchers after tracking 43 million hours of sleep. It combines dynamic temperature regulation and sleep tracking to enhance your rest and recovery. It learns your sleep habits and adjusts the temperature automatically. That means if you like the bed cool, your partner likes the bed warm, now you can have both at the same time in a crazy comfortable bed. Sleep longer and deeper so you wake up refreshed and ready to take on the world. To celebrate Independence Day, get a free gravity cooling blanket plus free shipping with your pod purchase. A $300 value, free. Offer ends Monday, July 8th. Visit 8sleep.com slash bluewire. That's 8sleep.com slash bluewire. E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash bluewire. All right, we got Summer League starting up. It's already started up out west with the California Classic, but most eyes and attention will be on the Las Vegas Summer League. That is the most teams, that has the most star power. Bleacher Report recently asked me to rank my top 50 players in Summer League. Not top 50 prospects. We're not talking long-term potential. We're talking about the 50 most effective players in Summer League. Not an easy ranking to do because we're dealing with incoming rookies who are 18 and 19, and we're dealing with guys who've been around for years, like Jimmer Fredette, who you know averages 40 overseas. So I figured I'd talk it out out loud. Feel free to let me know what you think uh, on Twitter at NBA Draft Was. And so I think it's pretty obvious the number one pick in the Summer League draft would be Zion Williamson. Of course, the number one pick of the 2019 draft. I think Zion, even at 19 years old, is still going to dominate Summer League, which is really going to reward his explosiveness in the open floor. I think he's still going to be completely dominant around the basket with his 285-pound frame. His leaping ability, his quickness, his motor, I think that's all going to translate right over to the summer league floor. And I also think he's going to have a green light to experiment a little bit with his ball handling, with his post moves. I mean, this is the opportunity to do that. And so I think we're going to see more than just the athletic plays. We'll see some of the ball skill plays, uh, maybe some shooting touch if he's got the green light to let it go, which I believe he will. I'm sure we're going to see him make some wild plays on defense and also probably some big mistakes because he loves to gamble. But at the same time, I think he's going to be one of those 20 and 10, shooting 60% from the field type of guys in summer league. So not only do I expect him to potentially you know, compete for an all-star spot as a rookie in the NBA, I think he's going to be clearly the best player in summer league. John Morant had surgery before the draft, so he won't suit up uh, in summer league, but R.J. Barrett will. And I think R.J. Barrett, the number three pick for the New York Knicks, will also be a very productive summer league player. He's been productive in every setting we've seen him play since high school and uh, FIBA to the Nike Hoop Summit and McDonald's game uh, to Duke, where he averaged 22 a game. He just finds ways to put the ball in the basket. He improvises. He takes weird steps. He takes shots he don't practice. When he's got room to step into jump shots, he hits those. I think with a green light, he'll also be a guy who you know scores between 15 and 20 a game, even on a loaded 
Knicks roster, it's funny to say that. They have a loaded summer league roster. Unfortunately, it's probably going to be the same as their regular season roster, but they're going to have a lot of good players, including Mitchell Robinson, who I also have in the mix, is maybe a top five summer league player. Last year, he led summer league in player efficiency rating, then went on to finish second in the NBA in shot blocking, playing just 20 minutes a game. I think we're still going to see those athletic plays around the basket as a lob catcher, as a rim runner, as a putback guy. Uh, and again, as a defensive presence, both around the rim and around the perimeter where you could switch and recover. I mean, he moves so crazy well for a guy his size. I think that's what makes him so special. Now, he's got no feel for the game offensively or defensively. He's probably going to average eight fouls a game. But man, he could do some special things with his body. And again, I expect you know him to shoot over 60%. Uh, block shots and get you, you know, five dunks per summer league game. I put Sacramento Kings Marvin Bagley in that top five mix, but honestly, I don't think he's going to play. We already saw him miss his first summer league action with a sore Achilles, and that word Achilles right now is not very comforting. And Bagley, who is, I think he's the guy who unlocks the upside to the Sacramento Kings. I think they're going to play it real safe with him uh, and let him rest based on, since they already saw that he's uh, he's on his way, I think, based on his rookie season. So they should feel pretty good about him already. No point in taking any risk with Bagley in Summer League. How about Lonnie Walker, San Antonio Spurs? I think he's got a chance to be a top 10 Summer League player. Didn't play much last year. Had a knee injury. Played for the G League. I think he's got a, a big role on this team moving forward. And based on his first action on Monday night, scored 20 points on 12 shots. Uh, looked awfully comfortable getting his own looks. Uh, rising into balanced jump shots. Inside the arc, scored 20 without making a three. I think that's actually a good sign. Over time, uh, I believe his three ball will will come to life and will propel him to that next level of scoring. But yeah, he is a three-level scorer. Perfect two-guard physical profile. Big-time athlete. uh, Good bounce. Some wiggle off the dribble. Creating his own shots much better than he looked like he was doing at Miami. Um, So I think he's the guy on the rise. And and now a second-year player, I'd expect Walker. Uh, to emerge as, as that Spurs' number one option in Summer League and really create some optimism heading into his sophomore year. I think Chicago Bulls' Kobe White could actually have a better Summer League than DeAndre Hunter, the number four pick. Darius Garland isn't expected to play. And Jared Culver, uh, I'm going with White over all those guys. Uh, I think he's going to really enjoy Summer League's pace. He is an up-tempo, change-of-pace guard. Uh, he's going to have the green light to pull up uh, when he wants to. Um, and he's a big-time shot maker and a very good ball screen playmaker. He should have the ball a lot in summer league. I think White is going to have a very impressive month of July, um, and the Bulls just signed, signed Sadoransky, so it'll be interesting to see how they prioritize their guards. Chris Dunn is still there in Chicago, uh, but I'd imagine that after summer league, they're going to feel pretty confident that Kobe White is their long-term answer at point guard. Also, watch out for Philadelphia 76ers, Zaire Smith. Remember Smith? was one of my. He was number 10 on my board coming out of college. Then he broke his foot uh, before the draft or right after the draft. I can't remember. Missed most of his rookie season. Uh, came on really late. Has some nice flashes of athletic off-ball playmaking. Um, you know, cutting, running the floor, slashing. Uh, and he made some open jump shots, which is going to be huge for him. He's also a really active defender. He's going to be really fun to watch develop. And uh, in summer league, when he's going to have the ball a lot more than he will during the regular season with all the stars in Philly, I'd watch out for Zaire Smith uh, to be a surprise impact player. 
How about Rodion Karuks from the Brooklyn Nets? Uh, one of the biggest steals of last year's draft. 6'9", versatile score. Karuks can get you threes. He can slash to the basket and attack closeouts. He gets out in transition. He'll guard a couple positions with his size and quickness. Should be a lot more confident heading into season number two in Brooklyn. I actually think he gets some decent minutes this year. Uh, with Rondé Hollis Jefferson probably on the way out. Kevin Durant, of course, will not be available this season. So uh, I think the Nets are going to really prioritize Karuks, and we should expect to see him make some shots and really show a little more offensive confidence this year. Uh, maybe a little more confidence in terms of his creation because he's mostly an off-ball guy. But give him the ball. Let's see what he could do as a driver, as a shot creator. I think we'll hear a lot from Tyler Hero. Hero banged five threes in his opener. He does a guy who does not lack confidence at all. And, uh, you know, I expect him to have some cold streaks. I also expect him to catch fire at some point uh, throughout Summer League. And one of those shooters, he could put his shooting form on a postcard. It's picturesque. Tremendous fundamentals rising with balance off spot-ups, off screens, off pull-ups. He's got NBA range. I think we're going to see some more ball handling, pick-and-roll ball handling and playmaking than he got to show at Kentucky, kind of like Devin Booker. I don't think he's anywhere close to Devin Booker, but I think that idea where... He was kind of held in a straitjacket by Calipari at Kentucky. And in Summer League, there is no straitjacket. It's green light city and a hero, a guy who is not afraid to make mistakes. I think we're going to see some really, really hot stretches and probably some bad mistakes. But I expect him to be one of the more productive rookies in Summer League as well. I got my eye on Grayson Allen, who will now be with the Memphis Grizzlies. Allen was awesome last year in Summer League with Utah. Averaged 13, 6, and 6. Showed off that playmaking ability he wasn't able to show at Duke. I think he's got, he's going to have to be a, a big part of what Memphis is doing moving forward. So I'd imagine the Grizzlies prioritize Grayson Allen, uh, as well as Brandon Clark, the number 21 pick in the draft, and I think one of the potential steals of 2019. Averaged 4.5 blocks per 40 minutes at Gonzaga. Shot 68% from the floor. I think he's just going to play with strengths, running the floor, uh, making plays above the rim at both ends. Switching defensively, providing that energy and spark that's contagious. Uh, So I expect uh, a productive and very efficient Brandon Clark in Summer League. Looking at the Cleveland Cavaliers, Dylan Windler. Windler looked really good his first game. He was one of the most efficient basketball players in college. Last year, ranked in the 99th percentile in half-court offense. Uh, Tremendous spot-up shooter, highly efficient cutter off the ball. Not much of a creator, but he won't have to be. Uh, to carve out a long NBA career uh, or to put up points in Summer League. I think he's a, a NBA-ready or Summer League-ready shot maker and a guy who's just going to find um, windows and open looks at the hoop just by moving without the ball. Really good feel for the game. 68% true shooting percentage last year. I mean, that is a monster number for a wing player. Cavaliers took him at number 26. I expect him to play a big role this season in Cleveland for a team that will be once again competing for ping-pong balls. How good will Michael Porter Jr. be? He's arguably the biggest storyline of all Summer League. Missed all but 52 minutes of his freshman year, which he started, viewed as the potential number one pick of the 2018 draft. Back concerns had him falling to number 14. Then he had to miss his entire rookie season in Denver, but sounds like he's good to go. He's a 6'10 face-up scorer with three-point range uh, and the ability to score from all three levels. Does he have the explosiveness back? Will he be able to create his own shot? Is the NBA three-point range there? We're going to find out. He could be a, a big-time summer league player. 
he could be someone um, who the Nuggets kind of take it easy with uh, and somebody who clearly just needs time and reps to build some rhythm and confidence. I'm not really sure what to expect from Porter, but he is on my must-watch priority list. And just imagine if Porter turns out to be the stud many thought he would be before the injury. Denver gets another steal there, another big-time asset to add to that already deep, promising core. So keep an eye on Michael Porter Jr. The Boston Celtics have a handful of guys I love. I can't wait to watch the summer league, starting with Carson Edwards, who was their third pick. And I think he could be the most productive of all the Celtics summer league guys. Uh, Edwards just buried 135 threes in 36 college games. Just an elite shot maker, unlimited range, can knock him down in bunches. And again, with the freedom to pretty much pull up whenever he wants to, I'd expect Carson Edwards to put up huge numbers in summer league. I love Grant Williams. I don't think he's going to be super productive, but I think he's going to be an integral part of both the Celtics' long-term future and their summer league roster of just a true professional, makes the right plays, doesn't need to score uh, to be happy or to be effective. Romeo Langford, I'm curious to see what he does. Uh, Langford didn't shoot the ball particularly well uh, during this one year in Indiana. He had a thumb injury. There's some reason to believe that affected his 27% three-point shot. Uh, will it come together in summer league? I doubt it. I think we'll see flashes. I think we'll see poor shooting percentages, but someone certainly to pay attention to. And watch out for Robert Williams, the Time Lord. Didn't play much last year, but he's going to have to play this year with the Celtics losing Al Horford. He gives them rim protection, a bouncy athlete at center that they don't have. Um, you know, like Mitchell Robinson in the Knicks, his job is going to be run the floor, get you easy baskets, dunk, block shots. Don't put the ball down on the floor. Don't shoot outside the paint. Uh, try and limit your fouls and mistakes. But I think in year number two, um, a more confident and more comfortable Williams uh, will be an effective rim runner and rim protector for the Celtics Summer League team. One would think that Charlotte Hornets have a couple of big-time Summer League producers in Miles Bridges, who was pretty quiet his rookie year. It's probably a result of lacking polish in terms of skill and also not having a defined role, playing multiple positions, uh, didn't have that consistent role in Charlotte. And uh, listen, they, without Kemba Walker, he has got to have more minutes and touches moving forward. Um, he should look more aggressive this season. Only seven points last year. Didn't take too many shots, played to his strengths. He's got to be more aggressive. I'd imagine he will be in summer league. Uh, should shoot much better than 30% from downtown. We'll see if he improves his shot creation, which has kind of been his Achilles heel getting back to Michigan. More of an off-ball spot-up guy who attacks the straight lines, but not somebody you give the ball to in the half court and say, you know, go create a shot for a teammate or for yourself. P.J. Washington from Kentucky, uh, who was the number 12 pick for Charlotte, who could be the Hornets' number one most valued asset right now. Uh, he's NBA Summer League ready, I believe. An improved body, an improved shooter, uh, an improved rebounder. He's not a big-time shot creator either, but he's going to make those open threes, I believe, a good post-up player, somebody you want to run offense down there, not just because of his jump hooks, but somebody who can make good decisions playing his back to the basket uh, as a passer as well as a finisher. I got to go back to the Knicks here because they just have so many guys. Um, Alonzo Trier, I mean, Trier would probably be a top scorer on any other team, but he's going to have to share the ball with Knox and RJ and Brasdikas uh, from Michigan, who is their second-round pick, who can play. But Trier will probably have priority in the pecking order uh, over Iggy 
And uh, another guy who's an important piece to this Knicks team. I mean, they need value wherever they can get it. Uh, undrafted in 2018, I think he really proved himself as a clear-cut NBA player. Probably more of a bench score uh, in terms of his long-term projection. But in Summer League, man, he, if Barrett and Knox weren't there, I'd imagine he'd be averaging between 15 and 20. In Summer League, guy who can create his own shot from any spot on the floor, catch fire, does not lack confidence whatsoever. Um, so he's certainly one of the best Summer League players this year, I believe. Aaron Holiday had a nice Summer League last year for the Pacers. He should be uh, ready to make a jump this season and back up new point guard Ricky Rubio. Holiday is a scoring ball handler uh, slash playmaker. He's got to improve his decision-making, uh, his consistency in terms of execution, but uh, he is a skilled offensive player with three-point range, a pull-up game, um, and a good passer. Uh, and somebody who's willing to lock down on defense. He's just got to limit the turnovers. He's got to be a little bit more efficient. Uh, but you'd imagine he will be in season number two. And he should be a pretty dominant point guard, I think, in summer league. We'll see if Goga Badazi plays for the Pacers. Badazi uh, was number six on my big board. He went 17. Um, I'm super high on him if you followed me throughout the year. I think he was one of the most over- undervalued players in this year's draft. Uh, averaged 12 points. Uh, over two blocks, shot over 50% in EuroLeague. I think if you put up those numbers in the NCAA, you'd say, man, that's impressive for a teenager, but he did it against pros uh, outside of college basketball. Uh, so I expect him to be ready. Um, there were some visa issues he's had to work through, so it's unclear if he will be uh, eligible to play. But certainly I think he will be one of the better big men um, in uh, in Summer League if he's got the green light to go. How about Mohamed Bamba? Bamba... Had a decent summer league last year. Um, wasn't super productive, uh, but was very efficient in terms of his field goal percentage and blocking shots. Had an injury his rookie season. This is actually a really big summer league for Bamba. He's got to play well because Orlando just re-signed Vucevic long-term. And so Bamba really doesn't have any path to the starting lineup. So he's got to prove himself either as a valuable backup or a valuable player to another team because in all likelihood, he's going to get traded at some point during his rookie contract, uh, while his value is still high. And I still have faith in Bamba. I, I had him as my number five prospect coming out of college. That's probably going to be a mistake. He lacks a little bit of toughness, uh, upper body strength, but you can't teach a 7'10 wingspan. And he does have a promising skill set in place in terms of his post touch um, and his shooting touch, which he's shown to be capable of using out to the three point arc. So it's really, you know, Anybody's guess how much he develops over the next couple of years, and unfortunately, he doesn't have a great place to do so as a backup uh, on a team with so many bigs. So we'll see what happens with Bama. Actually, for his sake, I hope he does get traded and he goes to a place where he actually has um, a role. But either way, important summer league for Bamba from both a confidence and development standpoint, but also from a perceived value standpoint among teams around the league. A couple guys I'm not as high on in terms of contributing or producing big numbers right away. I know DeAndre Hunter from the Hawks has that NBA-ready label, but I'm not so sure I buy it. I think he's going to have some trouble scoring in the half court, and if his three ball doesn't translate right away, he may have uh, trouble generating offense. Um, And, you know, he didn't take a lot of threes in college. I know he was pretty accurate when you did let him go, but he's got kind of a line drive release. I think it may take some time uh, for Hunter to become a reliable three-point threat. And again, I just don't see him creating his own shot at a high level 
in the half court. I'm sure I'll be a, an effective defender. Um, but in terms of production in summer league, uh, I think it may take some time. Um, Cam Reddish is not expected to play uh, summer league. Jared Culver, I think he's going to be um, a productive player, but not a very efficient player. Uh, right now, he doesn't have the three ball going for him yet. Um, and I think he struggles a little bit with the physicality. Um, he's pretty thin. He's not super explosive. I think he's got a little bit of a, an adjustment period um, ahead of him. And so I, I do expect him to, to have some nice games, but I'd imagine his field goal percentage uh, is going to be disappointing relative to where he was taken number six overall. I was never big on Rui Hachimura. I mean, I had him ranked in the 20s. So naturally, I'm going to list him with guys I think you should be patient with. He's not a three-point shooter. He's a poor rebounder. He's a poor passer. And I think it's going to take him some time to figure out NBA defense. In terms of summer league, I'm sure he will be efficient. I mean, he's going to be a, a fine score uh, within 17 feet. Um, I don't think he's a high-level shot creator. I think he'll take what the defense gives him, but he's not going to be somebody who makes a major impact on these early games. I think we're going to have to be patient with Jackson Hayes as well. Hayes is the number eight pick. He was number five on my overall board. He just turned 19. He's not very tough right now. Needs to improve his strength. He's probably going to foul out uh, with 10 fouls per game in summer league at some point. I mean, he just doesn't have a great feel uh, for the whistle yet, um, and he's limited offensively. So I think it takes Jackson Hayes some time. And also the Pelicans' number 17 pick, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, struggles with physicality and strength. I think he's going to have a very difficult time staying efficient. Uh, in Summer League. Same thing with Cam Johnson, the number 11 pick, maybe the biggest surprise pick of the 2019 draft to the Phoenix Suns, who traded back from number six. Uh, Johnson, I know he's old. He's 23, turning 24 soon, one of the best shooters in the draft, but another guy uh, who I think is going to, he's going to need some time to put some muscle on. He, he, he gets bumped off track pretty easily. I don't see him defending um, at an effective level. Uh, and if his jumper isn't falling at an efficient clip, He's probably not adding much to your lineup. One guy I really don't have any confidence to take on either way in terms of how fast he's going to be ready, Siku Demboya from France, the number 15 pick to the Detroit Pistons. I mean, he played against pros overseas, had his moments. Actually, in May, had a monster 34-point game. But for the most part, you could clearly see he's raw in terms of his skill level. Uh, he can make open shots. You know, he can attack in straight line drives and finish when he has space to do so. Uh, but in tighter windows, I, I, don't, I don't see how he is going to execute against a set half-court defense. And though he has very promising defensive tools, I'm not sure he knows how to use them effectively just yet. So we'll see what happens. He, he could be uh, a surprise contributor early um, and somebody who figures it out quick. He, he should be able to have more touches on the ball in summer league compared to what he had in France. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the eye test suggests he, he's somebody who's going to take some time as well. Darius Baisley for the Oklahoma City Thunder. I expect to take time, uh, having set out entire last year, still a teenager, um, and just still a very, a very raw prospect with a skill set in place, but not a very high skill level just yet. So I think he takes time. Uh, same goes for Nazir Little, who came off North Carolina's bench. Poor feel for the game. You know, stands out physically, but another guy whose skill level and feel just aren't there yet. Uh, so I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't bank on too much um, from Little in Summer League. And same goes for Cabin Jelly, uh, who is with the Clippers. Cabin Jelly, obviously, not many people were talking about him until the NCAA tournament when he averaged 17 through three games. 
another guy who just looks the part physically. Uh, and you see flashes of offense, but he hasn't put it together um, for a long enough period. And, and another guy who struggles with feel uh, in terms of passing, um, decision-making, and defense. So uh, don't bank on too much for him. Or Keldon Johnson, the number 29 pick, who doesn't create his own shot very well and, uh, and is probably not ready to consistently make three-pointers. So some of these late first-round guys, except for Windler, um, and I'd say Ty Jerome, actually somebody who can contribute right away, somebody I didn't mention, uh, Phoenix Suns. I think he's a, a nice piece, not too much upside, but somebody who is uh, going to find a way to contribute, I think, as a rookie and in the summer league by making open shots, by making the right reads as a passer, uh, by defending both backcourt spots. Um, Jordan Poole is an interesting name, somebody who can catch fire but also miss 10 shots in a row and you know five defensive rotations within a quarter. From last year's draft, I'd like to see Josh Okoji take a Kogi take another step forward offensively. Plays with a lot of energy at both ends, uh, but not a, a highly skilled player um, and more of a hustle guy than somebody you could bank on for half-court offense. Jacob Evans, who the Warriors could probably use. Uh, they drafted him in the first round and didn't get much from him as a rookie. He, he's going to have to take a step forward this year. Versatile, checks a lot of boxes, but doesn't do anything uh, super special. Amari Spellman for the Hawks. Um, he is expected to play in summer league. Another guy who had some nice flashes, uh, but wasn't very efficient. You'd imagine uh, he'll have a better second summer league. Anthony Simons from the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, we didn't play much last year, which was expected. He came straight out of high school, uh, and then he got some some late garbage time playing time. Had a 37 point eruption late in the season. We'll see if he can carry that over, carry the momentum into summer league this year, uh, be a more confident score. A lot of upside with Simons. Uh, between his athleticism and his scoring skill set uh, and some secondary playmaking ability. I'm fascinated uh, to see how he uh, progresses, having seen him go from high school now to the NBA and, and possibly have a role with a, a Portland team uh, who is going to be looking for some backcourt depth behind McCollum and Lillard. Otherwise, got my eye on the U19 World Cup tournament. Uh, team USA cruising right along, just beat Lithuania and Senegal. Uh, they're led by Tyrese Halliburton, Iowa State point guard. Watch out. He's on the first-round radar for 2020. Looks improved already. Uh, looks pretty good shooting threes. Again, the, the quick hands defensively. A good passer. High IQ decision maker. Big questions about his athleticism and his strength, but certainly looks like he's made a jump and somebody to watch on the first-round radar. And uh, another guy I'll just give a quick shout-out to, somebody we'll talk about probably more a year from now, Cade Cunningham, who would probably be the number one player in my 2021 mock draft. A 6-8 point wing, does everything on the floor. I've seen him multiple times live within the past couple months. And, man, he is flying up recruiting ranks to number two on most uh, services. So watch out for Cade Cunningham, uh, tanking teams who need to rebuild uh, they're going to have their eyes on Cade Cunningham. He is uh, the future uh, of the NBA and USA basketball. Anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, we got a lot going on over the next couple of weeks with Summer League and as this World Cup finishes up and free agency finishes up. Of course, basketball never sleeps. So uh, thanks for tuning in to the lottery. Feel free to send me notes on Twitter. Uh, any questions, NBA Draft Wasps. Uh, and we will talk soon.